0: What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down.
1: Hey, everyone. Happy Wednesday. It is Rachel Cohen on the corner of Audacity and Advice. We're doing something a little bit different today. Dr. Boca and I are here for like the post cap or like after the final rose, or we're in the green room for like the highlight reel because we just came off of our episode with Amy Helms, who was the expert guest we had on to talk about narcissism. And Dr. Boca and I just feel like because it's not real therapy, we're not held to any type of time clock here. And We've definitely ditched the couch, but we are just all things, our heads are spinning from a narcissistic standpoint, and we want to keep going on this. And now I kind of feel like I've got a zillion questions to break down with Dr. Boca, who of course is our unpolished resident expert. And I think we should tap in a little bit more and be a little bit more unpolished here on the corner of Audacity and Advice. So DB, you're still with me on
2: this Wednesday morning? I totally am. And you're absolutely right. I thought that Amy was wonderful about all things narcissism. And you know that I've said to you before that I really wanted to do justice to this topic because I do think it's such an important one. So I'm so happy that you brought in such a great guest. And yet it left me with a lot of comments and a lot of questions. And you and I just started talking and I was like, you know what, let's just press record. And let's see what happens here, because I do think if we're thinking it and we're asking, then other people are going to. And I think our listeners, you know, there are certain topics that you just want to keep going and keep going and keep going. And so let's keep going, right? All right, so I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to now kind of defer to you,
1: and let's just put the blanket statement out there right out of the gate. This is not real therapy. We are doing this for kind of selfish reasons. I'm not even going to say narcissistic reasons now, because I (laughs) completely feel comfortable saying I am not a narcissist. I feel way too much, and I take on other people's mishigas way too much, that I now am proud to say I am not a narcissist, but from a selfish standpoint, I want to ask you some questions, But it's not real therapy. We want to protect Dr. Boca's license. If you have any real medical issues or your mental health you feel is being compromised, or there's triggers that are starting to bubble over as a result of this conversation, please contact your healthcare provider. We want to make sure Dr. Boca's license stays perfectly, polishedly intact.
2: Thank you, Rach. And I want to say that even though you might have identified that you're not a narcissist, you know, all those, I'm too emotional and I take on everybody else's feelings. As Amy alluded to, you may be susceptible to be attracted to narcissists. So this is an an especially important two episodes for you to kind of digest what this actually looks like, because we want to be mindful of not getting ourselves in that trap and seeing those red flags very early on, just because of your caring and helpful nature. No, duh. I
1: know (laughs) I attract that. And that is something that I am trying to unwind. But why don't you and I, Dr. Boga, in our non-therapy therapy now, Talk about that a little bit more and mm-hmm. break down when Amy mentioned that sometimes empaths are attracted to narcissists and narcissists are attracted to empaths. Let's talk about that. And can you speak to that a little bit for our audience, why that is and why kind of these two opposite minds attract
2: So I'm going to take my therapy hat off sometimes during this just because I'm not an expert in this and I want to be able to talk to you about some of the assumptions that I make also. I think the first thing that we have to go back to is attachment styles, right? And how Amy alluded to the fact that oftentimes they did not get the nurturing and the mirroring that they wanted or needed as a child, right? And therefore, they would be attracted to somebody i.e. the narcissist would be attracted to somebody that would be able to give them that compassion and that mirroring and that empathy that they did not get previously. So you can see how that would attract somebody in the helping profession, somebody who's compassionate, somebody who's an empath.
1: Yeah. But the thing that I just think is so crazy, and maybe again, this is where it's all on a subconscious level, is Mm -hmm. that someone who has no empathy and isn't caring and kind and concerning and want to give love yet they are attracted to someone that they need all of those things from someone else and that's the thing it like it almost is a visceral reaction for me and it makes me so angry because i kind of want to just take that said narcissist and shake them and say mm-hmm. that's so unfair narcissist why is it okay for you to crave love and empathy from others and yet you are just su- such a cold-hearted non-empathetic human being. Do you see how like, it course. just riled me up?
2: Of course. And by the way, we all want to shake narcissists all the time. Like, wake up. It's so unfair. You know, you are sucking the life out of people and then making them believe that they're crazy in that process. But as Amy talked about the stages of how this develops, there is a seductive phase, right? They come in showing you what looks like empathy. And Amy spoke about that as well, where is it really empathy or is it for show? And are they reacting in certain ways that look compassionate and kind and caring, but are they really, or are they to serve them? So what happens in that first stage is you are wined and dined. You are told you are the most beautiful or the most successful, and I'm male, female, it doesn't Mm -hmm, matter. mm -hmm. You almost get this, oh my God, this is too good to be true, red flag. It probably is too good to be true, right? And they go, all in. So they are hyper attentive to you and they are texting you and showing you what all the other ones who have ghosted you have not shown you, right? So you get kind of sucked into this and you're like, oh my God, this is magical. This is the fantasy. I found the one. And something you you know, something with your attachment style, and I don't mean you, Rachel, but somebody who's right, collectively Collectively, are like, oh my God, I've never had this feeling before. This is amazing. This is like, oh, where did he come from? He's so different. She's so different than all the other women, the, all the other men. So you can, Okay. But this yeah. is where too, because you know, how literal I am, Mm -hmm. when
1: we talk about, again, from a definition standpoint, textbook wise, narcissists do not have empathy. Mm -hmm. This is where I can't discern between manipulation and whatever this quote unquote disease is, because if they are going through the motions of behaviors that mirror empathetic behavior, Mm -hmm. They're also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're intelligent individuals that they have to know what the word empathy exists or the definition of. And I get lost wondering when they pick and choose what behaviors they're going to use to lure in their quote unquote future partner that then ends up being, I hate to use the word victim, but mm-hmm. victim. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some type of conscious recognition that they're doing something to woo someone in under a false pretense. And that's the so, piece that I need help understanding.
2: Okay. So, again, we don't know, and there's a lot of questions about narcissists, as Amy said, and we don't necessarily know what their brain structure is. But just like we feel. In a relationship with a narcissist, we feel like, oh my god, this is magical. They are being fed, okay, and reinforced in whatever that what we're going to call it. If we're going to call it empathy, whether we're going to call it manipulation, you know, whatever that faux empathy is, right? Mm-hmm. getting reinforced with exactly the, the supply for their narcissism that they need, which is, oh, you're fawning over them. You think they're the greatest thing in the world. You want them. So they keep doing it initially, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure they even understand that this is anything other than what they were told in a book or they saw from their parents that this is normal for them. They don't necessarily understand that they're not doing empathy, quote unquote, correctly, that what they're doing is not really empathy. It's not really feeling that which somebody else feels in a way that you can understand them and give them the compassion or the support or the love that they need.
1: In your opinion, and it can be in your medical opinion, and also just you can take your therapy hat off to answer it as well. Do you think a narcissist? Even though they cannot exude empathy to others, do you think they know what that means and they're able to recognize when other people behave empathetically? Good question, right?
2: No, it's a very good question. And I would say it depends. And I hate that answer. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, as we've talked about, narcissism really is on a continuum. And I really want to highlight that because we all have narcissistic tendencies and those tendencies can be what propels us to success in life, right? They could be strengths of ours. And there's a very fine line where those strengths start to turn into weaknesses. So I don't want to say they don't know the way that you phrase the question, that it really does depend. I think that many people go through life never having had their emotions mirrored and modeled. And so they don't even have words for emotions, some of them. And so therefore, they think they're doing it correctly based on watching a room of people and saying, oh, that feels good when I get it. I don't know what that's called, but I want more of that. How do I go about getting more of that? And then somebody later on says, oh, show some empathy. And they're like, oh, is that what this person's doing to me? That's empathy. Right. So I think that there is just this disconnect and I'm not sure that they really know what it is. But when they receive it, I think because they are so insecure internally and there's so much misattunement and lack of inside that it doesn't have really the same impact and meaning that it has for other people when they receive it. And we sh- let's sit with that for a minute because I love that you reiterated something that Amy had said,
1: which was something that struck me as like a whoa moment, which was for the most part, we as laymen think of narcissists as these really big, powerful people. They're not wallflowers. They always have something to say. They're aggressive in nature for the most part, but they also like are so polarizing Mm -hmm. as well. And yet, we come to find out that underneath all that smoke and mirror, that maybe they're just like the wizard of Oz and behind that curtain, they're incredibly insecure. They don't have self-worth and it's all just one big bullshit facade. And maybe you could just, Touch on that a little bit more so the listeners kind of connect the dots that what you see is not always what you get. And that's what's so dangerous, so to speak, of being in a relationship with someone who's narcissistic.
2: Yeah. And people usually are very shocked by this, but they are out of most of the people, especially those people that are on the extreme continuum of this, which is narcissistic personality disorder. I used to say to them, if you just scratch the surface just a tiny bit, it is the emptiest, most wounded of all human beings. And so everything that they're projecting outwards, which is this ego and this grandiosity and this seeking of validation and admiration and putting you down in order for them to feel good, we see that as, oh, they must be so strong and capable and able and think so highly of themselves. And this must be backed by they are the greatest thing since sliced bread. They don't feel that. And so, so much of what they're doing is the projection, is the desire to get back that which they are putting out there. And so speaking of empathy, a lot of times when you can take a step back from it and you're not caught in the destructiveness of narcissistic relationships and narcissistic abuse, you can find empathy for these individuals because they really are just so broken inside and they are literally doing everything in the world to Come up with ways to defend against that so that nobody could possibly see that vulnerability inside of them. And what's so sad is that if they could allow that vulnerability to be tapped, the richness and the depth of which they could have such a meaningful relationship with somebody. I mean, it would be overwhelmingly, incredibly powerful.
1: It's so crazy. Like, I have the chills on that because as you were saying that, I'm thinking to myself, on the one hand, we started this sort of part two episode where you alluded that I'm kind of attracted to the narcissistic personality type. And as you were saying, if you could just tap into what's underneath the surface the empathy that I have while also being attracted to someone who seemingly is powerful and successful and is charismatic and sort of has it all kind of that je ne sais quoi, right? That to me on the outside is just like, oh my God, sign me up, right? And then if there was a way that my empathy could just take this individual in and just say, oh my God, baby, come here. Like, it's okay. I got you. And like, Mm -hmm. we're in this together and just let that guard down. I mean, even if that guard is, you know, designer, fancy schmancy, and it's all packaged up in a real great 401k package too, (laughs) right? Like, and let's rule the world together, right? Like how rich and exciting that would be to have someone who is the balance of, the strong and the vulnerable.
2: Yeah, and I say all the time that when I used to be in therapy many moons ago, I flat out said to my therapist, I'm like, there's a really fine line between the successful, powerful, gregarious, um, dressed well, hot, Guy, right? All of it, and the narcissist, and I Mm. could not determine the difference between them because it was such a subtle line. And so, yes, and that's part of the pattern: is they get you in by whining, dining, looking the part, having the clothes, the watches, the powerful positions, male or female, right? They can be in the Chanel's, Mm -hmm. they can be in these, Mm -hmm. you know, the CEO position, right? And they take you to these really great restaurants, or they buy you all of these gifts, and they're telling you how much they love you, and, and And they want to move so quickly. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm falling for this guy or this woman. But in my case, it would be a guy. Right. And then they start to disclose to you just a little bit of vulnerability. Right. Just tell you a little bit of something that we hear as compassionate, empathic empaths, or whatever word we want to use, or caretakers, right? And they tell you a little bit about something that's vulnerable where you can be like, oh, that's the squishy, yummy stuff that I want to hear. And what happens? Then you want to disclose everything about you. I can trust you. I can tell you my deepest, darkest secrets in the hope that they're going to tell you that in return. The problem is they stop telling you, or they made it up to begin with, right? But they stopped Mm. telling you that stuff. And now you've exposed yourself. So your emotions are literally dripping, something that most people have never done in their life. They've chosen to do this to this person because this is the package that they've been searching for. And now the narcissist has all your vulnerable trigger points. So when they do switch into that next phase they can use it all against you. And that's why it's so easy when they start to gaslight and they start to make these moments where they blame you for things or they put you down You're kind of like turned upside down from it because it was just so uncharacteristic of them a few moments ago that you're like, oh, well, that's just a one-off or that's just a one-off or, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe this is an insecurity of mine that I have to work at, but it's all to their advantage. So, well, I guess we all can see then why people get seduced into it.
1: Yeah. And as you were talking, like right when you made the switch from the narcissistic pattern of the positive, positive, I'm going to share, I'm, I'm going to whine and diet, I'm going to this, I'm going to that. The quick switch to the opposite ends of that spectrum. That's when I actually viscerally started to feel that anger that like, you know what, mm-hmm. go fuck yourself. Like, what do you mean you're going to start making me feel like I'm out of my mind, which leads me to this whole gaslighting thing. And I know yeah. that we discussed with Amy That this is another phrase, another behavior pattern that is kind of glorified. It's kind of the big buzzword of the times these days, but it is a real thing. And I kind of was thinking we didn't get into this on on part A, but like some of those phrases that I think I've heard myself or that some of my friends have shared with me is like when someone says to you again, male or female, that we're not just kind of throw all the men down the rabbit hole. No, it's both that are narcissists too. And they want to control the narrative and so on and so forth. But when a narcissist says to their partner, like, what are you crazy? Right? Like, well, what, Mm -hmm. what are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. You're making me crazy. Now, it's hard for me to kind of play both roles because I would like to think that I'm strong enough to be able to defend myself against a narcissist, but it, but listen, I, but but I'm human and I've mm-hmm. certainly gotten myself into scenarios where I do want to defend myself and I can see where it, where there is this tug of war. Or if someone says, you know, like if I say something and I, why did you say this? Or that's not what I meant. And then the other person is saying, well, you took that out of context. Like, mm. no, I didn't don't right. bullshit a bullshitter. That's always a line <laughs> I, you know, I've known since <laughs> I'm a kid. Like, I don't think so, Charlie. But I can imagine that maybe even in your practice, you've dealt with people who are struggling with this, where maybe they're not strong enough to stand up to the narcissist. That is not to say that I'm always strong enough, because there's mm-hmm. plenty of times that I'm not, and I do feel bamboozled into maybe hanging up the phone or taking a step back and being like, "Wait a minute, like what just what happened?" Just right? And like, what? right? Like someone rewinds here. Where's Warner Wolf? Let's roll back the videotape. Like I don't know what happened.
2: Yeah. And that's part of the gaslighting effect, right? It's we're supposed to be questioning and made to feel like we are fucking crazy. Like, wait a minute, if I play all of this back, did that just happen? And if it did, how did I let that happen? The issue though, Rachel, is that it's slow and it's progressive right and so you don't necessarily see it many people don't see it as amy said until they're sitting in therapy i don't know how long she was married before it happened but they don't see it until you're saying Mm -hmm. oh does this happen to your marriage or your relationship does this happen does this happen does this happen and so as much as we're preparing people by doing this podcast and you know it's all over social media and we talk about it now which is great I think we all fall victim to it in all types of relationships, not just with narcissists, but particularly with narcissists. You know, how many times has a little funny joke, quote unquote, right, to cut you down? There is a part of it that's funny. And it's funny the first 10 times, right? And then you're out for dinner and you start to see the people around you aren't thinking it's so funny. And you're like, hmm, well, okay, well, I'll have to compensate for that and say, oh, you're being so cute, honey, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you do it a couple more times. And then you hear it from your kids. They think it's okay for them to make a comment like that. And you're like, hmm, wait a minute. This is not okay. Right? And now you're in it 10 years Whatever it is, or however long you've been in the relationship, and you say, How the fuck did I get here? And what I've been saying all this time, when I called that person out on it, you get back, Oh, it was a joke, or Oh, you're too sensitive, or Oh, have a sense of humor, or Oh, everybody else laughed at it, you know, loosen up. And so, none of those comments are really horrific comments if they're made once or twice, or maybe three times, but over the course of many, many, many years, you can easily see how somebody who's strong and capable and able and very confident could be broken in the process and chipped away at without even knowing it. So that's why gaslighting is such an important thing for people to be aware of. And the other thing I know I'm a little long-winded here, Rach, but one of the things that you said is your reaction was, no, I'm not, or no, you know, it's not out of context. The the worst thing that we can do with a narcissist is react. Oh, to like egg
1: them on. Yes,
2: because that feeds the narcissistic supply, okay? Mm. Without supply, without oxygen, without food, whatever w- whatever we want to use as the euphemism for the supply that keeps the narcissist going, without that, they can't survive. And I don't mean right. literally survive. No, They're not no, no. Kill there's themselves. no dust Yeah. Right. And then it fizzles. Right. So there's actually a phrase out there called gray rocking, And some people also use yellow rocking. And the gray rocking is really that you just kind of, you become uninterested in what they have to say and you just kind of disengage slowly. So they kind of lose interest in you and they don't want to engage in any conversation with you or they don't want to say, or they're not getting the narcissistic thrill or the high of that because you're not responding anymore. So I just wanted to point that out because you had that reaction that you don't necessarily want to lead with that reaction, in my personal opinion, mm-hmm. because that just incites them more to say meaner things, to gaslight you more, and potentially get you into a very physical situation.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's a great point. And I'm glad you made it. And I think that it takes a strong person, though, to pause instead mm-hmm. of react. And that is across the board with all of the mental health topics that you and I have touched on over the course of Unpolished Therapy together. I would imagine narcissistic behaviors and relationships, first and foremost, how hard it would be to be strong enough to stand up against someone who potentially in that dynamic, you would be the weaker link of the two. So it is just something to kind of point out to people. Maybe it's a practice. It's probably not something overnight. If the listeners out there are becoming a little bit more cognizant to like, well, wait a minute, am I in a narcissistic situation here? Maybe through our dialogue, they can pick up on some of these cues and tips. And over time, they can practice their strength of backing off as opposed to reacting. One thing I want to ask you, um, just shifting a touch is This is kind of just where my head goes. And maybe it is from that reactive angle. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think you can like narc a narcissist. And like what I mean by that is can we outwit like now with all the knowledge and all the wisdom and all these like nuggets of information that we're learning as people who truly care about our emotional intelligence and we're living in a generation where just because we might have been one way, i.e. when we did the podcast on attachment styles and and all of the things that we've talked about and wanting to truly grow and evolve Can we kind of win or have a one up against these narcissists and kind of take the reins back? What are your thoughts on
2: that? So my thoughts on that are temporarily we can shut them down. It's kind of like in the video games, right? And I'm terrible with analogies, as you know, Rach. But in the video games, like, you can get those power packs, right? And then you can clobber anything and everything. But eventually that power pack, you know, it only lasts for about five seconds in the game. And you see how many points you can get. And then you go back to your regular self that doesn't have all that abilities. That's kind of what happens. So there are ways to not fuel it, not give it its supply by engaging or by saying certain things. But there are things that could pause it. There are things that you can say to a narcissist where they know that you are disagreeing with them but you shut it down so they're not going to come back you with, oh, but your friend Susie, if I asked, you know, Susie or Jane or Mary, you know, they would say blah, 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 right? You don't engage in that. So you want to be able to shut down that next step. So yes, you can temporarily, but the narcissist will find another way or they're going to discard you because you just have become, you know, the gray rock and you just don't engage anymore. So it really depends. What do
1: you think about a scenario I have been witness to this scenario and it's very uncomfortable and I always say if it happens to me I'm sure, sure it's happened to other people as well where you're in a situation um social or or actually worse otherwise if you're in the privacy of someone's home but you're a guest in their home and there's a scenario that goes on and you're uncomfortable about what is happening verbally between two people and other people okay, either myself and in some scenarios, but even just other people who are invited to whatever the gathering is, speak up and say like, hey, don't talk to he or she like that. Or why would you behave like that? And uh, maybe not using the word, why are you being such a narcissist per se? Why are you being such an really, asshole? <laughs> why are you being an asshole? Or why would you speak to someone like that? Or have you no respect? Or even to the other person, the, the quote unquote, the the, the 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 meeker of the two, right? Mm. Why would you? put up
2: with that? Yeah. Why
1: would you let them talk to you like that? Anyway, then, and then there's like that awkward tension. There's a little bit of silence. There's a little bit of like redirection. And now we've moved on. The night is over, blah, blah, blah. Now you go home only to then be worried. What do you think is happening behind closed doors between the said narcissist and whomever now they themselves are not the one that spoke up, but now all the people in their quote unquote corner came to bat for them. Does it make that
2: person in a worse off scenario? And again, I'm going to go back to it depends. But Mm -hmm. like Amy said, as you're extracting your well, not even as you're extracting yourself before that, how do I know I'm with a narcissist? One of the things that is important to know is that when you are with a narcissist, people do see it. And so they start to say things to you like, You know, I was I didn't really like when, you know, she spoke to you that way. It was kind of demeaning and they'll say it on on the side or they'll say, you know, I'm not sure why you are okay with that. Like, why aren't you having a reaction to that? Is everything okay? And so you start to have friends in your life say that if you're lucky enough to still have friends. Because one of the things that narcissists really do is they try to control all areas of your life and they, in the process of gaslighting you, try to remove you from any other influences around you so that they have free reign and nobody is getting into that position of calling them out and seeing them for who they are. Because that's very threatening to a narcissist to be seen as anything other than the most magnificent thing in the world or to be seen as the covert narcissist who is still manifesting some of those behaviors without the grandiosity, that's the most devastating thing in the world. So you'll start to see the quote-unquote victims, let's call it victims in this case, lose their friends, not do things that they enjoy doing anymore. They even cut off relationships with their family members. And it's all because they've come to this place of starting to defend their significant other because Either A, they still don't see it, right? Or B, they're so afraid not to because of what the retaliation is going to be on them.
1: Thank you so much for kind of clarifying that because you really did... Help to break that down, and I feel like I have a little bit more clarity on it. So I know our listeners do too, which is why I'm going to throw another monkey wrench at you, and I I know you'll be up to the task. Okay, I'm like
2: exhausted here. Yeah, no,
1: but you're you're doing great, and I really am so happy that we have this part too. It's like I'm thinking about it. It's like instead of after the final rose, it's sort of like after the final woes. Oh, that's cute. I like that. It does just seem so woeful Mm -hmm. that like narcissists behavior and being wrapped up with a narcissist, just to me, oh my God, my blood pressure is, is elevated thinking Mm -hmm. about it. And again, I I appreciate your time to go back and talk about this a little bit more. So I'm just going to jump into the question and that is on another podcast, you and I had talked just sort of scratching the surface. Um, probably when we were talking about attachment styles, but when we talked about codependency. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit to how that codependent relationship does also weave itself in with this narcissistic relationship as defined by two people who potentially are codependent on one another.
2: Yeah. So, you know, codependency is a word that, you know, I've said to you before is one that I struggle with conceptualizing, you know, because we are by nature interpersonal beings. And so we have to become attached to people. And so I do think that there's some good that comes in codependency. However, that being said, you know, a narcissist, how we look at it with narcissists is they need a supply. And somebody who's not narcissistic, who's with a narcissist also probably needs some supply. That is to believe that they are loved by this great individual. And so I think that initially it plays really well with one another. One could probably argue that a narcissist can't be codependent because they don't really know how to need anybody or be in a relationship or have empathy. So that's how I would kind of answer that question. And it's not the best answer. But I do think what Amy was alluding to was interesting because professionally speaking, I don't usually see a narcissist at least walk into my office, usually with somebody as very successful, even though Amy's right, it feeds their ego. What typically happens when you have two very successful people in the relationship, either they're both narcissists, which does not work at all, or one gets very jealous of the other one's position. But what I typically see more of are The professionals in that, maybe they're therapists or they are teachers or, again, the empaths, men and women, who are maybe a little bit meeker or maybe a little bit more emotional, maybe a little bit more seeking. You know what? A word that you guys would all know, people-pleasing. A Mm people-pleaser tends to find themselves with a narcissist because they want to do For somebody else and do whatever it is that they ask for, which is how oftentimes it evolves into a relationship that can keep going on and on and on because this other individual came into a relationship not having their needs met because they lived with someone who was either narcissistic or who had an addiction or whose needs were more important than theirs. So they come into relationship as people pleasers and they meet somebody who at first glance doesn't really need me to people please. But eventually the narcissist is fed because this individual is going to do whatever it takes to make them happy. So somebody who is dependent Personality would be attracted to a narcissist because it's very easy. They don't want this relationship to end because they need this person. And so I think that there's a lot of people who, especially in this day and age, are attracted to the narcissist without having a diagnosis, without having anything. I just think that it happens. And I'm not sure it's necessarily codependency. I'm not necessarily sure it's just one type of person anymore but there are qualities that definitely attract you to a narcissist. Oh my God. Can't we all just get along? (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) And it's right. And then it comes back to, okay. So, and I, and I have this conversation with people all the time, like colloquially, like my friends. Right. And I sit there and I'm like, Oh my God, like relationships are exhausting. And if we're like puzzle pieces, as, as we talked about with, um, previously on the attachment one, and we didn't use the same words, but it's like puzzle pieces. You think you fit together based on these needs that you have that you're not even aware you have these needs. And then one person starts to get healthy and sees the pattern. And then they try to extract themselves. And then, then you know, in this case, the narcissist will go into their narcissistic rage. And it's just this craziness. So what's better to stay unhealthy and just figure out how these pieces work together and make it happen and just assume that this is best it's going to be, which I don't sign on for, or you have to do the work and you have to go through the torment. But as Amy said, like on the other side of it, you have your life back and you can be free, but it's exhausting and it's painful.
1: Yeah, I'm exhausted just thinking about all of it because it is heavy and it's a lot and it's not for the faint of heart to say the least. But that being said, yeah, again, we you and I, we could we could keep going and going and going. But I do think that in in the spirit of just sort of recapping those bullet points and breaking down a little bit more of the mess and making meaning out of it, Mm -hmm. I think that this time was well spent and valuable. And I'm thrilled that we jumped back on to kind of put this addendum together. For me, I think as a final thought. The biggest piece and takeaway that I want to remind the audience that Dr. Boca said that I think is really helpful and healthy is that even though we are using words like narcissists and narcissism in such a broadband scope and with such a negative connotation, it is important to remember that all of us probably do have some tendencies of narcissistic attributes that sure. aren't necessarily bad. And right. being powerful and having drive and desire and ambition and stick and so on and so forth, you know, while here we are for now in an hour plus plus, we're saying all this negativeness about narcissists, having some of those ambitious qualities, you know, there is that fine line there. So we don't want to turn away from the strength that we have within that one may put into some type of compartment that may overlap with narcissistic behaviors. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to strip ourselves from what makes us empowered and proud. Correct, Mm -hmm. Dr. Boga?
2: Yeah, look, it's what I've always said. And this is to everything. What do I always say? And you get so annoyed that I say it, but too much of anything is no good, right? It's an extreme. And so at some level on the continuum, all of these behaviors, not all of these behaviors, but these behaviors up to a point can serve as a strength. It's when it becomes the problem and you start to see patterns and ongoing patterns in relationships, in their job in all er- with their kids in all areas of their life, mostly. Sometimes you'll see them still being successful in one area and not the others, but really it goes back to the empathy piece. It's not everything, but it is a telltale sign. But again, even that's a confusing piece, as you've said, Rach, because you get lost there like, okay, well, is it empathy or is it faux empathy, right? And it's a hard place. And then that manipulation is always a difficult place, at least for me. It's always a difficult place to sit for a while because you start to look at it and say, hmm. hmm." Yeah. And then that's when like the trust issue comes
1: in, like, because we are being more intellectually challenged, right? Or Mm -hmm. emotionally intelligent, I should say. And then, at least for someone like me, then I start questioning with all this knowledge that I'm learning, with all this wisdom, with all this mental health uh, Mm -hmm. information that I'm being overloaded with, now I'm sitting there trying to like, dissect an individual and say like, well, wait a minute, is, is this trustworthy behavior? Or is it not trustworthy behavior? Am I being gaslit? Am I being manipulated here? How do I one up? I mean, that in and of itself is so exhausting to try to navigate the patterns or the lack thereof when what if the person just happens to be a really nice individual and now I'm wrecking it because of my own quote unquote, selfishness, self-absorbedness, narcissistic, you know, who knows? And that might create a car crash in and of itself.
2: Yeah. And I would say that some of the other things that you should be mindful of is that one of the greatest weaknesses of a narcissist is their inability to have insight, okay? So they can't go inside themselves and kind of figure out what's going on and what went wrong. And so if you're unsure, um, you know, like Amy said, go with your gut. But if you really are confused, there's a couple of things you can do. You can start asking questions, not in an attacking way, but really like, when I feel this way, what kind of goes through you? Or, you know, sometimes I feel as though you're not understanding what I'm going through. Can you, you know, let's go back to this example, whatever that example is. What do you think is going on for me? Right. Or what do you feel when I say this to you? It's a way for you to determine. Yeah. Determine. Do they have the ability to empathize? Can they have insight? The other thing is, you know, we talk about in relationships, we have conversations and sometimes we beat dead horses. Right. Or is that the expression? We beat a dead? Horse or we beat it to death? Yeah, we beat a dead horse. Okay, so we beat it and we beat it and we beat it. Well, when we have these conversations, are they changing? Are they thinking Mm -hmm. about it and coming back and responding in a different way? And when I say responding in a different way, do their behaviors match their words? And that is a huge telltale sign because a lot of times they will give you the bullshit because they're smart enough to do it and they might even show it to you once or twice. But eventually, as time goes on, they go back and revert back to their old ways. And so maybe they don't have the insight. Maybe that is the manipulative ploy for them that they're going to bait you in. You know, you told them what you needed. They're going to give you what they need or what you need and what you asked for. So they're going to be looked at as the good little boy and that you need them. And they did what you asked or girl, whichever way it is. And I'm sorry, I'm using man so much, but it's, you know, my orientation is to say a man. And therefore you're like, oh, and they're like, well, I did what you said. But the reality is, if you don't feel like it's genuine and authentic and it's coming from a place and they keep slipping back, then that's a time when I would say, hey, you know, honey, I think that maybe I need a better way to understand what's going on here because I'm feeling as though, yeah, you're doing it and now it's not continuously happening. So would you go with me to talk to somebody? And usually... A narcissist will either say yes, and they'll do it because they, they're like, well, I have nothing to hide, so I'll go under the guise of you. Sure, no problem. Like, I'll tell the therapist exactly what I see, as long as it's positioned that way. Or B, they won't. They'll say, absolutely fucking not. This is you. You're crazy. You're the one with the problem. And then you know the gaslighting is going on. Mm, interesting. So I don't know if that helps or doesn't help, but those are a yeah. few little tricks of the trade. One
1: other role play I want to ask you before we wrap up here, when you said one of the tips could be, I'm just going to ask the individual, like, hey, you know, when I do this and it makes me feel this way, like what stirs up for you? If you role play that out with me, Dr. Boca, what would a narcissist say if they don't feel would they be like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about? Or would they make up some type of manipulative answer so that
2: in the moment they're just assuaging your concern? Potentially either or. They'll try to change the subject sometimes as a gaslighting technique. They'll try mm-hmm. to say you're being too sensitive or you're overreacting to that. Right. Or make a that. joke. Or make a right. joke or be like, yeah. oh, you're psych- yeah. Don't psychoanalyze yeah. me or something yeah. like that. Or they're going to give you what they think you want to hear just right. enough. And like, l- seriously, when you're living on breadcrumbs, Right. You can see you'll how this becomes. You'll take anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, oh, right. He's like, oh, that ro- that beginning romance piece comes out. That mm-hmm. beginning. Oh, they took me for a nice dinner. Oh, oh we my watched. God. Oh, yeah.
1: narcissist, be gone. Be gone with Exhaust, all of you. It's exhausting. Right? Yeah. In this case, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh.
2: Yeah. And so you can really have empathy for both parties because if we sit here and we say they really don't know, right. Your heart breaks that they have to destroy all of these relationships that they're in. But at the same time, we can't take away the pain or take away from the pain and the anguish and the torture and the exhaustion that somebody who's on the receiving end of this relationship is experiencing. And so to that person, I would say, seek some help, have some support get some professional help and also get help from your friends just as an as an ear and start to gain the strength and the clarity and start to see things with the lenses shifted in a little way where you say, maybe it's a possibility if you can't really Take on oh this person is a narcissist. Just look at it with a possibility. Like what other ways can we reframe what's happening that would be different than the supporting the narcissist or justing justifying the narcissist or getting defensive when somebody points it out to you. You know because we don't want you to fall victim to that defensive style that the narcissist has just because you don't want to see it. So it is painful. I feel for people. Please seek help from a licensed professional. Reach out to Amy if you want, but please know that we understand it is really hard, but once you get through it, you'll be so much better.
1: Absolutely. Dr. Boca, you're the best. Thank you so much for spending this extra time. I feel like it was sort of like extra credit you know, I came in after school. I wanted to sit down with the teacher again and kind of go through it one more time so that I really understand. And I do have a, a much better picture of what this all means. So I hope the listeners out there, you've, again, you again, you found some valuable insight and it was helpful for me. I hope it was helpful for you. DB, I will see you next week on the corner of Audacity and Advice, where we break down all the wreckage. So from myself, Rachel Silver Cohen, and my favorite partner, Dr. Boca, we thank you all for being here with us on a double episode, a part two after the final woes about narcissists and narcissism and the behaviors that ensue. This has been another episode of Unpolished Therapy. Thanks for sharing your time with me.
0: Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.